This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to my YouTube channel and my podcast station. Today's guest is Blair White, who is a YouTube star. I don't know exactly what level of star she is, but she is pretty bright and pretty hot, and she has a lot of little shiny things to rain down upon us where we sit looking up at her. Today's interview, we do talk about just being on YouTube and being transsexual and about shaping discourse and being shaped by discourse and shaping attention and being shaped by attention. It was a great hour that we had together. I was very fortunate to have her on and we'll see how her haters end up hating me or how her lovers end up loving me, but I'm just at the sidelines. It's all about Blair White today. So here she is. I've been watching a lot of your videos and uh, and also like reading what people have to say of on about you on Reddit. Uh, so oh God, Reddit is a fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> Reddit is crazy. People have pretty strong opinions of you, though, or I don't know how accurate they are but they seem to be kind of strong. Just, I guess there's this whole political uh, YouTube thing. So it seems like there's this pretty strong camps that have opinions of each other. And you kind of just agree with those opinions, I guess. Has that been your experience? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm someone like most people don't really fall in the middle with me. I mean, some people do, but most people either like really, really support me and like are diehard and, or they just really hate me and like, would rather just see me vanish from the face of the earth. Yeah, er- erase you. That's the proper erase. term, right? Yeah. Yes. So I was thinking um, to get, if you wanted to, I was just wondering if you wanted to do like a biographical sketch of your life. This is part of my series on gender, sexuality, and transition. And you're a very prominent voice for, I guess not for trans people, but a trans person is a very prominent voice in at least social media, if not kind of like the larger media surface uh, circus. So I wanted to just know who you were and then talk more about your trans experience before we get into the YouTube political stuff, if that's cool for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, Are we already filming right now, like for the video itself? No, we can dive in whenever I just, I hit record and then I can just cut in. Um, Okay. We can, we can start right now. All right. So just talk about like myself and my life and how I got to be here and stuff. Yeah, well, okay. Because there's this, uh, there was that Vice uh, kind of panel, or I guess it was kind of like bleachers that you guys had to sit in and and talk at each other's heads or talk at the camera. And there was a non-binary, genderqueer, uh, trans person, and you guys had kind of a tense um, discussion there. And one of your points was that the trans identity has kind of been co-opted or encroached upon by other things. And you seemed to have a very strong view about what it is to be transsexual. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, the word transsexual and being a transsexual has a very long historical context, right? Like transsexuals have existed since 
forever. Like as soon as surgery was available for transsexuals, that surgery was happening. Um, you know, as far as terms like non-binary, genderqueer, um, you know, all the sort of different adaptations of, of being trans and what that means now, even the word transgender is actually a fairly new term. Um, I've seen uh, like on Google Trends and stuff, like the term non-binary in relation to gender is only something that's really been used since like 2014. Um, and the same cannot be said for being transsexual. It's a very long documented thing, right? Um, so therein lies sort of my frustration with the conflation of the two. Um, it seems to me that non-binary people and the sort of non-binary ideology and philosophy is such that gender is to be deconstructed entirely um, to the point of being thrown away with, right? Whereas transsexuals very much operate in a way in which we actually appreciate the gender binary. We actually appreciate things like gender roles and, and we may go against you know the gender roles that we are expected at birth, but by and large, we typically assimilate to that which we transition into. Um, so it seems very contradictory to me, the two, and I don't think that you can properly advocate for uh, the validity rights um, of transsexuals in the same way that you can non-binary. So I get a lot of flack for that, um, but I have yet to see one person convince me why they should be considered the same thing. Yeah, you use the word appreciate. You uh, trans people, or you say you appreciate the gender roles or the gender binary does that mean that it helps you make sense of how you plug into the world or what do you mean by appreciate in a sense yes um if, i think if you speak to um a large amount of transsexuals uh you'll find that we actually for the most part i mean it might seem contradictory considering we you know live as the opposite sex but we um we assimilate into the gender role in which we transition into like um you know i'm not walking into the women's bathroom with uh i don't know uh, a beard and you know none of that is what's happening on the transsexual side that is kind of happening when it comes to non-binary people oftentimes so yeah. um you know we as transsexuals typically, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but my experience meeting them has been they don't reject the idea of gender roles, whereas all these other adaptations of it do. So when did you understand or start wondering about the way that you fit into the world and how it wasn't, you weren't adapted to how your body was adapting yourself via sex into the world? Right. Um, so some of my earliest memories in life are that of gender dysphoria. I remember being four or five years old. Um, I don't remember ever a time where I didn't feel um, to some degree an incongruence with my self-perception, the way the world perceived me, and just the way I was fitting into the male gender roles that I was expected to fall into at a very young age. Um, so I remember being in kindergarten, for example, and there was um, there was blue lockers and pink lockers for the girls and boys in kindergarten or actually it was preschool i'm sorry so even younger than kindergarten um and boys were expected to put their belongings in the blue girls in the pink you can probably guess which one i naturally gravitated towards that's a very early example of me feeling that incongruence those feelings only intensified as i got older and as i got older i realized something has to be done about this, but I don't really know what. That's when I started going to gender therapists. I started doing research online. I started listening to um, the few public trans voices that were out there when I was a bit younger. And then I finally realized, okay, I guess my only real option 
um, is transition. So let's give it a shot. I did not go into it expecting that it would fix my problem. It has. Um, I'm very happy with the choices I've made. Uh, but yeah, as I said, it's something that goes way back for me. Yeah. What was the experience of uh, incongruence then for you? Was it was it interrupting you constantly? And, and was it only in a social situation or, or even in your head how you were thinking? About it was things? definitely um, both social and just within my own thoughts. Um, I remember being super, super young. We're, so again, we're talking kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and just feeling, you know, every time I was expected to sort of um, do anything that was gendered, right? Like in school, like boys line up here, girls line up here. And there was just something, even though at that age, it wasn't this hugely upsetting thing to me, there was at the very least when I was young, something odd about it. And I was never fully comfortable with it. And my natural inclinations were to everything feminine, to everything that my girl, female peers were expected to do. I didn't really know why. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really express it verbally to anyone. But even everyone around me saw that incongruence in a way as well. Um, I was heavily picked on for being so feminine uh, when I was very young. Uh, my family would question me like, why are you holding your bag like that? Or why are you walking like that? Um, yeah. And did that manifest itself in how you perceived other people relating to each other just on a relationship uh, level, like how you would speak and how you would, uh, who you would gravitate toward? You you were kind of like a girly boy. Was that a yeah. non-offensive term for that? No. Uh, yeah, I was very, very naturally feminine. I, I gravitated towards my female peers in school. I remember my grandma asking me as a kid, like, why are all your friends female? Um, I remember my uncles, I, I grew up in a very um, hyper masculine family, you know, mm -hmm. my, 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 like my mom, my mom is even a tomboy. Like, I have a brother, I had a father, he's deceased and my mother and none of them were feminine at all. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad was a football coach. My brother played football. My mom knew nothing about makeup and hair. And she was very, very tomboyish. So it's very, it's very much not the story of some people who, you know, maybe they grew up in a more um, gender neutral sort of environment. Mine was the opposite. Um, so yeah, I was questioned at a young age by my family for sure. Would you be able to, I don't know if this, sense, uh, this question makes sense, but what would separate you from a, just a flamboyant uh, homosexual boy? Um, I guess the separation would be just that, you know, I, I lived as a technically gay male for my teenage years, and I was still never comfortable. I never found that comfort within myself or felt like I was on the right track in life until I started presenting as female, medically transitioning, and then my entire life really opened up. Um, one example of that is also that I've never actually fit in well with the gay community. Um, I've never actually had gay men attracted to me, even as a teenager when I personally identified as a gay male. Um, it was always more of like the straight, vicarious men who would be interested in me or the, the you know, the down low type. Was that reciprocal? Were you not attracted to uh, homosexual oh, yeah. males here? Yeah, I've never been attracted to, to homosexual males. It's always been the opposite. Um, so yeah, really my entire life opened up once I transitioned. So that would be for sure the difference. I mean, that is something I questioned as a girl. I was like, am I just feminine or am I truly, you know, trans? Um, but I, of course I found that answer out once I went down that road. There's a, uh, 
there's kind of not an outbreak, but there's a rapidly increasing um, presentation of teenagers identifying as trans. And there's some studies that are being done, and this is still controversial, about rapid onset gender dysphoria. And it seems that one, uh, there's a few comorbidities with the people who identify as trans in this group. And I wonder your thoughts on this. There's, uh, there's a high rate of uh, depression, uh, a lot of online use, not really connected with their bodies. And some slight autism, uh, at least with um, with females. Um, was there like a comorbidity? You said that life opened up to you when you began to present as a female. Was that like was there a depression hanging over you, or other kinds of things that began to be resolved by transition? There was definitely um, an aspect of depression, um, but that depression was mostly once I realized I was trans and not really knowing how I was going to figure it out, looking at the sort of costs of transition that seemed at the time insurmountable, which I did overcome. Um, but it was more so that I'm the kind of person that once I figure something out and once I know it, I'm just going to fix it. I'm just going to deal with it head on. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, I don't really relate to sort of the stories from a lot of people I hear from now who say that, uh, they were suicidal or they were cutting themselves or they were trying to self-mutilate um, to, to cope with their gender dysphoria or their feelings of being trans. It was never like that for me. It was more so the older I got, the just the more it made sense. And I, I was able to just be like, okay, then let me just deal with it. One good example is the fact that um, before I transitioned, a year before, I actually moved to Michigan. I moved away from all of my friends and family um, for a relationship, which <laughs> failed, but that's beside the point. Um, and I was suddenly living somewhere that was very much a different culture than California, where I grew up. Uh, it was much more conservative, and it was much more, um, no one knew me. I was a stranger to this, to this town of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And everywhere I went, this was before I identified as female, everywhere I went, everyone used female pronouns for me. Everyone called me a girl. And I was like, what is going on that the world perceives me this way, but I'm slow to figure it out myself? Um, and so that's kind of what I mean by the world opening up. Once I accepted that this is kind of who I kind of already am, um, suddenly, you know, relationships opened up, career opportunities, just being able to live life to my fullest, basically. Hmm. When you hit puberty, did it? What did it, that feel like? When when the like the male body started going along the male path, how was that for you? Um, I remember feeling that was when things really intensified as far as my feelings of okay something is off here still hadn't quite figured it out but that was sort of um another moment where i figured out like okay something is really going on here but again i don't relate to the extreme suicidal tendencies you know i struggled a lot as a teenager but it was mostly due to external forces family problems um i was bullied heavily in school uh, that mm. kind of stuff yeah. Were you bullied because of your gender presentation or was it other? I was bullied um, because of just that natural femininity that I always exuded, you know, that, you know, the hmm. way I walked, the way I talked, my voice never really dropped. Um, people in my small town didn't really know how to handle that. And so that definitely led to bullying. Um, but I will say that I actually am thankful that I experienced that at a young age because it actually prepared me for being a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> because it was nothing compared to some of the things people say now. Yeah. And so 
I'm sure you've talked about this before, but do you think that it was important for you to mature naturally before you transition? Because there's this whole Lupron thing that's still kind of, and there's still just, I guess, it seems like they're just experimenting on children by halting their, their growth to give them time. And that doesn't seem to be actually what it does. But would you have preferred to transition earlier? Or do you think that it was important for you to, to transition after uh, other development had happened? Right. You know, my opinion is a bit controversial within the trans community, but I actually prefer that I was able to go through the life experiences I went through before actually medically transitioning. Um, I was not ready to medically transition at 13, 14, 15. I just was not. Um, I know people that have transitioned very young, 12, 13, and their lives are fine now. Um, but I will say if I would have compounded, you know, all the struggles I went through as a teenager and my family stuff and just my life in general with then transitioning in the middle of that, then maybe I would have been one of those cases of, of kids who harmed themselves. That would have been a lot. Um, I also take issue, you know, with the idea of children transitioning because I don't feel like that's a decision that your mind is developed enough to make, you know, as a child. I just don't. You know, when when someone goes on hormone blockers and then is on, you know, hormones at a young age and transitions uh, medically at that young age, um, they're basically deciding they never want to have kids, right? Because it does sterilize you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that speaking, you know, I'm 25 years old now, I didn't know until I was 24 that I wanted to have kids. So I feel like you're, um, you know, you're robbing your child of, the opportunity to have a family of, of, of natural origins, right? Um, so I've always taken issue with kids transitioning, that's for sure. And when you hit the record button to make your first YouTube video, did you have anything, was it on your mind being trans? Was this like a trans voice? Did that come into the YouTube thing? Or were you just, what prompted you to go there? And how did the trans identity follow you? Or is it what led you? Um, I think I began transitioning a few months before my first YouTube video. I uh, had started hormones like three months before. And um, it didn't tie into the reason why I wanted to start YouTube. It was more so, you know, the older I got at that age, I started realizing that I was kind of identifying more um, on the right wing side of politics. And I was in a very highly liberal college environment. Um, All my friends were extreme liberals, really, um, very far left. And so I felt like in my real life, I didn't have much of a space to speak my mind without being sort of attacked or scolded. And so I thought, okay, then I'm just going to make a video and just talk to strangers about it. I definitely expected about seven people to watch. I woke up the next day and it had like 50,000 views. So that was terrifying. (laughs) Um, So my life changed in one day, basically, and has never been the same since. So... And this is something that I wanted to ask you about because I didn't know it was that recent. So three months you'd been on hormones. How, how was that to, to introduce estrogen into your system? Was it like a second puberty? Was, was there a lot of redesigning of your emotions that you had to do? Not really. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like there's this narrative that once you go on hormones, it's just like you do a 180 with your emotions and your interests and your you know, your mindset and like, not really, you know, like, I think it softened me a little bit. I think I cry a little easier, but not to the extent where it's some noticeable thing where I just like changed. I think people who know me now and knew me then see me as the same person, just more so comfortable with the shell, 
really. Like, hmm. I was actually talking to my really good friend that I've had since I was 14. So obviously she knew me pre-transition and then now. And she's like, yeah, you're the same person. I don't get it when people say people are so different when they start. But mm-hmm. that's just my experience. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like you had already known about this state of being trans, which is an odd, just verbally that's odd, because trans means going from one place to another. It seems like you've already gone. It, it seems like even the language is is inaccurate, because you've transitioned, yeah. but I don't know if you're trans anymore, but you are a trans woman. Um, yeah. But... So it seems like you had already kind of thought that through, and then you went on hormones. You were what? How old? Uh, 21, 22? I think I had just turned 21. Yeah. And was there a lot of extra things that you uh, ended up doing, like changing your voice patterns, changing your, your speech patterns, changing the way that you uh, presented? No. Walked, held things? No, as far as my mannerisms and like my sort of like just behavior, that's always been feminine since I was five, which is why I was bullied as a kid because people were like, why are you walking like that? Um, And then my voice never, never really dropped in puberty to a noticeable degree. So my voice is just my voice. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the uh, concept of autogynophile? Are you familiar with that? The uh, it's yeah. a Blanchardian term about uh, that classifies a certain specific form of transsexualism having to do with the love of oneself as a female. And uh, I've I've spoken with uh, several people who are pretty hard. Uh, they come down hard and say all. Um, male to females are basically uh, trying to become the image of what they're sexually attracted to. Um, But Blanchard himself, who came up with this, uh, set aside another category for homosexual, transsexual, where it just made made sense because they'd already been basically as female as possible before that. Right. I mean, then I guess I'm that second description. I mean, I definitely didn't transition because I'm attracted to the idea of a woman. I'm only attracted to men exclusively. Um, I think women are beautiful. um, And I think transitioning gave me sort of more of an appreciation of just like how beautiful women are as I was trying to Hmm. sort of assimilate into that expectation. But it's never been sexual for me. I'm not attracted to women like that. Um, As far as what I think, um, I think there is definitely a subset of of trans women who um, it's maybe more of a fetish um, I don't really relate to that narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone can do whatever they want, but I personally don't relate to that. Mm-hmm. And do you think that within the trans community uh, that there's that that distinction that Blanchard made um, kind of plays itself out where you have different forms of transsexualism all under the same banner and then how that works out politically, fighting for rights and stuff like that. Do you see that? that tension manifesting on the level of political, uh, on the political level of the trans community? I don't know. To me, it's more noticeable the sort of like non-binary latching on. To me, I okay. don't really see the that as much. I mean, I, I know it exists, but for me, I think the more uphill battle is kind of um, discerning ourselves from, from all these other identities and people who claim that you don't need dysphoria, right? Or that you don't need to assimilate at all. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that's more of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of co- complexifies being trans then, because um, it seems like the the battle is on two fronts now. One is for a wider acceptance, and then one is to distinguish oneself from that gender queer, uh, uh, that which originated from queer theory, which 
has uh, some deep contradictions in the fact that it's very intolerant of any form of, of gatekeeping or drawing lines and stuff. It wants to smash not all binaries, but all distinctions too, so that everybody can be liberated and free. Um, so it seems like, like at least what you were manifesting in the Vice uh, panel was that you're working towards getting more acceptance in this direction while distinguishing yourself from something that you perceive as actually uh, doing harm to acceptance. Yes. Yes. You know, my allegiance and my concern is really for transsexuals. My concern is not for people who walk out of the house with a skirt and hairy legs and say they don't have gender dysphoria and say that they're non-binary, genderqueer, trans femmes who are beyond. You know, that, that's not my concern. Like I have, you know, I think they have just as much of a right to speak for themselves and on behalf of people like them. You know what I mean? Um, but for me, I, I actually, you know, contrary to popular opinion about me, right, and you may have seen this, it's like I actually care deeply for transsexuals and trans people. I really, really do. Um, I think that a lot of trans people suffer greatly within society, and I think that um, it's a real disservice to those individuals that are really going through it um, to have all these other identities latched on. And unfortunately, you know, these other identities are so political, right? They're so deeply political that they actually are the loudest voices as well because they're screaming, right? Mm -hmm. Trans people, by and large, their goal is to blend into society. Their goal is not to be public. Yeah. Their goal is not to be like me on YouTube saying I'm trans and here's what I care about. Yeah. I'm one of those people because that's a, a path that I have chosen and I, I genuinely enjoy making videos, right? But for the most part, historically, and still today, the biggest goal is like, okay, I'm trans, I'm gonna deal with this, I'm gonna live as normal life as possible. That is not the case with non-binary and genderqueer people who want to smash the binary, want to be as loud as possible, and are very, very loud politically. So what happens is by them calling themselves trans, they get the platforms, they get the media attention, they make the, you know, the front pages, right? Yeah, yeah. And they are supposedly advocating for people that are not at all in line with what they want. Um, so that to me is a problem. And like I said, I think that they have every right to speak for themselves, but just don't speak for me. Yeah. So you've done several videos uh, countering people uh, within the trans community and the non-binary community. And I'm wondering, this is kind of a general question, like what are the tactics that you've seen that actually work to change people's minds or behaviors about this stuff um, within the that radical uh, leftist activist tinted uh, movement? I have found... Um, through my experience, you know, I travel the country speaking to primarily conservatives, right? Um, that is where mm -hmm. I operate. I politically identify as a Republican. So I've done a bunch of speaking events this year, speaking to rooms of hundreds of people, met with moms, conservative dads, veterans, people who have never met a trans person in their life, right? Um, who then come up to me and say, you know, I came to this event to see this other speaker. I had no idea you were going to come. I didn't know you were trans. And you made sense to me. For me... Mm -hmm depoliticizing trans people is one of the most important things. And that is opposite of what non-binary people want to do. They want our lived experiences to be entirely political, right? But I find that when you explain to people the very simple, easy to understand premise of, hey, this is something that I was born with, this is something I dealt with, and this is something I'm moving on from, or maybe I'm still dealing with it, but it's not something I can control, there's not a pill I can take to get rid of this. I have dysphoria. That is a real diagnosis. 
people have empathy for that. People have understanding for that. When you explain, hey, just because I'm trans does not mean I am this radical leftist. Transsexuals identify all over the political spectrum. People understand that. But what happens is, because like I said, this non-binary radical faction has taken over the voice of trans people, all of them are radical leftists. All of them. I am comfortable saying that, right? I have never met a conservative, <laughs> non-binary, genderqueer, trans fan, huh. right? Yeah. Um, so then the public's perception becomes that transgender or transsexualism is an invention of the radical left. Hmm. What they learn when they meet someone who is a Republican trans person is that, oh, that's not actually true. Maybe this is something this person was born with. That's what caused people to be okay with gay people. Once we came to a point in society where we were like, okay, listen, he's gay. Like, we're not going to change the fact that he's gay. It, it became a much more accepted thing. And I think that's the route for transsexuals as well. Um, but unfortunately, we have to really, really get there. And But that's the other catch-22 is that there are a ton of Republican, conservative, centrist, or even sane, liberal uh, transsexuals, right? Um but by and large, they want to live low-key lives. These are people yeah. living in the middle of the country. These are people that blend in with society. They're not on a platform like me mm-hmm. um, because they don't want to be. Um, but there's plenty of non-binary people who will use their platform, right? So Yeah. Well, that's the, the non-binary and the conservatives. But what about the gender-critical feminists who insist that you are a man, use the he pronoun, um, project onto you that you are, you know, appropriating womanhood or putting on woman face? Like, have you interacted with them? And, and have you been able to change minds? And what are some of the the arguments that you presented that you've seen have had traction to change that perception? Um, I find a lot of them quite odd in that they seem to dedicate their entire uh, lives to being contrarians to trans people. Um, I, I've interacted with some, most of them don't want to have, uh, in my experience, irrational conversation about things. Um, as far as that, those, uh, feminists insisting on using male pronouns and all of that, it's, it, this is purely to me an internet thing because that's never happened to me in real life ever. Mm. Um, so to me, I don't put much stock in any interactions that I consider to be only like online it's not like a real thing to me basically but it, it's mm. to me it's the same as um you know very traditional conservatives saying that i or other trans women regardless if they pass or not must use the men's restroom that may be an argument that plays out on the internet because yeah i can't argue to the i can't argue to you that i am a biological female nor would i want to but that doesn't play out in real life in terms of like actually working. I did a video where I went into the men's restroom, I was kicked out. So that's not really something that yeah. translates to real life. So for okay. me, for me, I much rather um, focus on arguments that I actually think have a real life validity as well. Mm-hmm. And so you said that you, you made a little YouTube video and then you woke up the next morning and you had uh, 50,000 times two eyes like looking at you. And then you just started making another video and another video and another video, I I presume. I mean, that's what you did, but was it right away you just started engaging with that? Yeah, I kind of jumped right into it. I was like, oh, I guess I have something here now. And I'm getting, you know, emails from people asking me to make more. And I was like, okay, I guess I will. And 
Um, I didn't go into it even when I started, you know, after the first one, making three, four, five more videos. I never saw it as like a career thing, right? Like I was still in college, I was a computer science major. Hmm. Um, I didn't see it as a career or money making thing because I didn't actually know you can monetize YouTube videos. So I monetized my videos until like seven, eight months in when someone was like, hey, you know, you can make money, right? I'm like, really? (laughs) So that's when I did that. yeah, I just kind of jumped right into it, though. So how, I don't mean to be offensive, but this is just a question I'm thinking about, is that you, you transitioned from male to female, and you became a trans female. What was it like to transition from a nobody to somebody on the internet? Like, what was that? What were the steps of becoming an image on a screen and, and a personality? More than just a person, but a personality, an internet thing. Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um I guess for me, you know, there was no, I didn't have any friends that did it. I didn't know, now I do, but I had no friends that did it, had any experience with it. None of my friends could relate. Um, And so at first, actually, it was kind of hard because, you know, I was getting, I was starting to get like a lot of love, but a lot of hate. I was starting Mm -hmm. to get real life ramifications, like people messaging my family or, Um, I was doxxed a few times. I had to be in contact with the FBI because people were threatening to come to my house with guns and taking pictures outside of my house. Um, I was in a relationship at the time with a guy who very much struggled with my, my, you know, transition, no pun intended, from, you know, just a regular person to a public figure, right? Yeah. Um, He didn't take it all that well, actually, and it actually, I think, hurt our relationship. Um, Not with him anymore, but... uh, so, it, you know, it was difficult, but I, but what I realized more than anything was like, you know, I have something here and I would be a fool to throw it away just because I can't take the heat. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go in this full force or I'm going to stop now. And I was like, of course I'm going to go full force. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I did because, you know, it's changed my life, like I said. So there's two kind of factors in shaping one's personality on the internet uh insofar as people are watching you and interacting with you there's two camps there's the haters and then i guess the lovers or the the fan boys or whatever you call your blair whiteys i don't know what they (laughs) called yet every term i've ever thought of for like my fan people have like pet names for their fans sounds racist because my last name's white so i'm like whiteys white people white fans (laughs) like it just doesn't work so You'll get there eventually. So, how do, how do you think those the the hate has shaped you, or, or shaped Blair White, quote unquote, like the, the the image that you put on the screen and, and the person that you are to everybody else? Like, what did that force you to think about and and uh, kind of shape yourself to? Um, it's basically forced me to take honest looks at my views, right? Like, if you post especially in the early days, if I were to post an opinion and I were to get 60% of the people who agree with me, 40% who don't, to me, that's a big chunk. And to me, that's going to make me um, try to objectively assess my stance. Um, It's actually, you know, as well, giving me more of of respect for people who are politically opposed to me Mm because now I listen to them a lot more. It's right in my face. I look at every tweet. I look at every comment, every message Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can. Um, so I think it's given me a lot of self clarity. It's made me a lot stronger in the same way that the bullying from when I was a kid made me stronger. Um, it's made me strong, the online hate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of puts you at this, uh, disposition where, you know, you walk into, into rooms, you know, 
with just more confidence because you know that you're putting yourself out there and you just have mm. to be you. I, I can't walk in anywhere and be weak because, you know, I, I have to be strong mm. for what I've created. You said that you received some pretty extreme hate that the FBI had to go around and assign yeah. you a special name. Did you get like a, a anonymous name? Did you get relocated for a period oh, of time? Oh, no, nothing oh. like that. It was more so uh, what happened a couple summers ago was I made a video um, critical of the Black Lives Matter movement when it was mm. more relevant. It was around the time where there was like shootings and rioting and all this stuff and I commented on it and um, the video went viral, the video got posted on a bunch of different websites um, and it resulted in my address getting doxxed, my mom's address getting doxxed, hmm. people driving by my house, taking pictures of my house and then tweeting me saying I'm coming back tonight with a gun, stuff like hmm. that um, and my my fans actually fought back against those people who doxxed me, doxxed them and then it was a, a big, it was a big mess in which I had to, you know, ring the FBI and be like, listen, huh. I need some help here. So they um, actually went in and took care of the person who did it. And, mm. you know, that was that. But yeah, so it does get crazy. Um, it does get crazy. Luckily now, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed that what I do has afforded me the ability to live somewhere with high security and mm -hmm. I'm safe here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> what do you think of the state of political discourse uh, since Trump got elected? I mean, what got me started on the YouTubes was the Evergreen State College fiasco. I don't know if you know anything about it, but like some students took over a college for a couple days and they filmed it all. It was really crazy stuff. And I was going there at the time. So I kind of just uh, I laid it all out and did a lot of, uh, you know, discussion or just talking through all the different points and and that launched me into this political discourse and a lot of people that I would meet and a lot of people still say that it's it's madness that we're, we're our countries tearing each other apart do you have that sense that it's uh, kind of like a tribal war with no real good outcome are you optimistic about that <sighs> wow depends on what day you ask me some yeah. days I'm like you know this is just so toxic so tribalistic and we're getting nowhere and then other days I feel like you know, we'll be okay. Um, you're asking me today, so I guess I will say, um, I'm feeling like things are a little too toxic and a little too tribalistic. I posted earlier um, that I felt that Antifa were terrorists, and I'm getting a lot of people saying they're not, which is definitely um, a bit confusing for me, and I feel like, you know, that sort of exemplifies the tribalism, that just because you're a liberal does not mean you should be defending Antifa, in the same way that just because I'm con uh, Republican, I should not be um, supporting, you know, white nationalists and other mm -hmm. extremists on my side, right? So to me, today, my high hopes are not so high, but I also... You know, it, it goes in waves. My passion for politics goes in waves. I think people who watch me oh, know yes. that. You know, I think people who watch me know it's like, okay, the last two months it's been, you know, only lifestyle content. And then the next two months it's only political. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty important for um, mental health. Uh, yeah. And when, yeah. what caused you to start to variate your content? Did you see that you were doing a variety of content or was it all political to begin with? And then you started thinking more about who, what, what kind of content am I doing? Well, I started seeing this very interesting development in which people who would comment, message me, email me, um, were taking a big interest in like my real life beyond my political stances. Cause in the beginning it was hardline politics, only politics, only social commentary. Um, and people started being interested in me as a person. And so, um, what happened was, 
people started really digging into my life, finding old videos, old pictures, old hmm. things, um, contacting my family, very invasive stuff. And so I felt like, okay, um, clearly I have helped, you know, breed this environment in which I'm this mystery person, people don't know anything about me, right, by being so secretive or at least not open, not secretive, I guess. Um, so let me start to be more of myself. So I started doing more um, just talking about life videos or mm-hmm. um, I started doing live streams where I talked about my day or I started um, doing collabs with YouTubers who were not political like Shane Dawson. And that kind of opened me up to a new hmm. genre that I can dip my toes into anytime, like you said, for mental health, that I feel like the politics is just really sinking me down because it does happen. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of other political commentators, they don't have the ability to dip into other genres because they don't have people who really want that from them. Yeah. So I'm lucky that my audience wants both. Yeah. Um, the, uh, attention works really interesting on the internet and I guess, okay, how do I say this? Um, you're very attractive probably to males, right? So you get a lot of male attention and I wonder how that's interacted with you with the added thing going on with your your identity below the skin, your chromosomal identity, let's put it. And how have you adapted to that kind of sexualization, if that's happened to you, or objectification? Um, How's that shaped you, and how have you shaped it? Um, I think objectification is just a thing for women on the internet, and that includes trans women, if they to a degree look like women, biological women, right? Yeah. Um, And so... I don't know. I don't think much about it. You know, I'm in a very happy relationship. My fiance doesn't think much about it either. Luckily, he's in the entertainment industry himself, Mm -hmm. so he isn't bothered by comments and stuff. My last relationship was one that actually did suffer from that. Mm -hmm. Um, My last relationship, I was dating, uh, you know, this guy from Missouri who had just no concept of being a public figure. And he would read comments from men on my Instagram, and he would get very (laughs) upset. And I was like, I can't control it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to block people for saying I look good. Um, So, you know, it's interesting. I, I I don't have an issue with it, though. Yeah. Well, the question is, like, how do you shape attention and how does attention shape you? Or in another way of thinking it, uh, insofar as you are a political uh, agent uh, or and I don't mean that sinisterly, just your political voice um, and and pretty substantial political voice. um, You not only speak, but you shape discourse when you speak. And how is the coming into that and, and wrestling with your responsibility with how you need to get attention but once you give it back into the world it's it's different somehow so you can actually make the seas rowdier or calm them down and i'm speaking generally but how is that how how have you thought about that like your influence as an influencer um you know influencer is an interesting word right because Sometimes when I am sitting here with my phone in my hand thinking about tweeting something or posting something, I'm think- I am I don't really think about anymore the fact that the second I hit click, there's going to be thousands of people who see it. And over the course of its lifetime, sometimes millions, I really don't think about it very much um, because I find when I think too much about it, mm. it makes me fearful to post. It makes me second guess what I post and it actually hurts my content because Mm. those videos where I'm second guessing myself are some of my videos that I I look back on and I'm like, you know, I could have said that better. That wasn't a good video. Um, but in terms of, if I think about as far as 
fostering a healthy discourse or not like making things, you know, problematic or whatever. Um, I think I've gotten better at that as time has gone on, just as I've naturally matured, naturally getting older. I feel like I'm just, um, maybe it sounds weird, but I think it's logical. Like I'm just smarter now than I was when I first started. (laughs) I'm more aware of the consequences of saying certain things. Whereas if you go back to some of my earlier videos, um, I'm a lot meaner, harsher, more abrasive. Mm. And now what I realize, especially, for instance, if I'm making a response video to someone, I'll tell my supporters, you know, don't go send hate. Don't go send threats. Don't be rude to the person I'm talking about. This is just a political disagreement, right? Mm. Um, Whereas in the beginning, I had no thought process. I would just let my fans just go, like, destroy someone. So that isn't something I do anymore. Do you think that that um, since you've changed that, like the uh, your your negative response has has softened too? Have you been like met from the other side with people adapting and maturing along with you and their responses to you? Maybe you know I think some people who maybe are politically opposed to me. In fact, I know this for a fact. I have a lot of subscribers who are politically opposed to me, but enjoy the way I present my ideas and just hmm. the way I, I I speak and stuff like that. Um, I get that message all the time. Like, I'm a liberal, but I like you. Uh, but, um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I just lost the question. I was just uh, wondering about, uh, like, I don't I don't know how it all works. You you and ContraPoints yeah. are like BreadTube and whatever the other tube. I don't understand all this stuff, but I know you're you're a part of it and you've 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 done response videos, the whole response video kind of ecosystem. And I was just wondering how uh have you found a worthy opponent and have you have you entered into a relationship with other political YouTubers that actually you feel like you guys are building on each other even though you're still in an oppositional relationship? Have you been like I guess blessed by somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, there has been, you know, I've had a lot of debates over the course of what I've been doing, and some of them just feel like we got nowhere with that, and some of them I feel like it is it is road building. For example, I did one with Lacey Green, um, mm. who, you know, I don't think she's online very much anymore, but she was once a really huge presence in sort of like the, mm. the, the SJW or the liberal side of YouTube, right? And us doing our stream, I think, uh, built a lot of bridges, not only just with me and her, but with her audience, mine, you know, um, and then there's other debates like ones I've done with Onision that just go nowhere. And it's really just for people's entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about your influence on uh, young transsexual or uh, gender questioning youth? And have they contacted you? And, and how have you kind of accepted or, or rejected like the mentor role if that's kind of come your way? Yeah, I get I'm like flooded with comments and emails and messages from from young trans kids and people asking, you know, is this what I'm feeling? Does this mean that I'm trans or, you know, Hmm. and it's a very tricky line for me to walk because I am not a doctor. I am not Hmm. your therapist. I'm not qualified to be those things for you. But Hmm. what I am qualified to do is is um, sort of share my journey. And if you feel like that journey aligns with yours and that my path is one that might make sense for you based on those similarities, Hmm. then hopefully that helps you. Um, I will say that whenever I get um, people asking me, does this mean that I'm trans because I'm feeling this? My first um, response will always be, I hope that you seek genuine help from this because I don't want to sound rude, but I am not a therapist. I hope you speak to one. 
Um, but I can tell you my feelings. When I felt that at your age, that did for me mean that I was trans. But don't take that for for set in stone. You know, I go seek help, talk to your parents, talk to counselors, that sort of thing. How was gender therapy for you then in, in general? Was that helpful? And was it was um, it a, was do you think it was very affirmative? And what are your thoughts on affirmative only care? For me, you know, I've always been the type of person that, like, I'm pretty self-aware. Like, when I started feeling like, okay, I think I have to transition here, it was more so like, okay, I know I have to transition, but let me go through the motions and go to therapy because that's what you do, right? So I I went to therapy, and um, I didn't learn anything new about myself because Hmm. I already kind of had myself figured out. I'm not the kind of person that really second guesses myself a lot. I've never been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't, I didn't have any revelations. It was more so like, you know, the therapist was like, yep, that in my opinion kind of means that you're trans. And I'm like, yeah, I know <laughs> that hmm. sort of thing. Um, hmm. but as far as affirmative only care, um, I would, I would assume that that would be something that's bad because there are people who, you know, transition and end up regretting it right like we don't talk about it a lot it's this taboo but it's reality for some people um and so i i would hope that a therapist wouldn't just tell that person what they want to hear what's next for you are you are you going to be in a disney movie and would you (laughs) i will be the first uh trans disney princess no just kidding um (laughs) What's next for me is more content, for sure. Always more mm. content online. Yeah. What's next for me is I'm, I'm working on, I'll just say it, I'm working on a book currently. Um, is it like a thriller, like Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, but the Blair White Code <laughs> kind of thing? <laughs> Blair White Code's a really good title. Uh, but no, it's going to be everything anyone who has ever been a subscriber would want from me in the sense of like, hmm. oh, you only follow me for politics? That'll be in there. Oh, you only follow me for the trans stuff? That'll be in there. Only, Oh, you only follow me for the lifestyle stuff? That'll be in there. Hmm. It's going to basically be me on paper, 110%. Um, and that's something I'm working on now, and I'm hoping to get that um, out to the people who want it by the end of the year. Is it going to be like a coffee table book with big spreads of... Uh, you undulantly leaning on a <laughs> chaise lounge and your cocktail recipes in the corner. <laughs> Maybe that'll be book two. The first one though is definitely going to be, um, you know, my my subscribers read. My subscribers are okay with a lot of a lot of, mm. of things, so it's going to be a big book. Mm-hmm. And speaking about that, you said the, the you, you just mentioned off the cuff three categories: so your trans stuff, your politics stuff, and your lifestyle stuff. What what other interests are you engaged in? Like like what's your like your thought life like? What do you go after and are hungry to put into your head on a mental level, on an intellectual level? Um, people don't know this, but I spend almost all day every day watching um astrology youtube videos videos about space um i actually grew up and i wanted to be an astronaut (laughs) people would probably laugh at me for that i didn't quite accomplish that uh that ship has sailed but uh i don't know elon musk might just offer you a spot at some point oh my god i wish um yeah so that um and then just aside from that, you know, my interests are very much in building genuine, real friendships and relationships 
in real life. And that might sound weird, but for someone who lives their entire life on the internet, for me, um, the people in my real life who really know me are really important, especially living in LA where most people I meet are part of the industry and it's difficult to find people that I like. So um, for me, traveling, my relationship with my fiance, my dog, friends, going out, and that doesn't mean bars and clubs, although I do like that as well. It means like, let's go to the theme park for the day, or let's drive up to San Francisco for the day, or let's, you know, Hmm. um, just living my life and trying to remember that I am not defined by numbers or other people's opinions or strengths on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of a a nice little, like, cherry on top question, but I can't think of anything. Do you have, like, a question that you want me to ask you? Like, what's the one question you wish people to ask you? Like that keeps you up at night. Why? Why can't I talk about this thing? You probably talk about everything that comes in. I talk about everything. <laughs> I'm so open. I don't know. Huh? What What is it like to be so open? Do you think that? Do you see like an image of yourself that's different than you, and then you have to go back and correct it online, or is it just? Do you find that there's a parity between who you are and and what you present to people? out there being so open like that sometimes it's really difficult to understand from my perspective how i'm viewed by the world right Hmm. like sometimes i see people's assessment of who i am and i'm like that's so far from the truth but what i will say is um i find comfort knowing that everyone who knows me in my real life i don't have one person who's ever said that i'm different online everyone i know in my real life Hmm. says says yeah you're the same person the same person. So um, that tells me that I'm I'm doing things right, that I'm not just out, you know, putting out something that's not real online. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, thank you for talking with me about stuff you probably already talked a lot about. But, but honestly, you asked amazing questions and your questions are more in depth. And like, this was one of the best things I've ever done because people usually don't ask like in depth as much. They just ask like, what do you think about non-binary? But you really went in, so it was a good, a good interview. Good. I felt, I felt, I feel closer to you now, even though I don't know you. Yeah. At all, so yes, hopefully the sure. the audience feels that way too. Yeah.